0: and welcome back to another Tap Talks HR podcast. This time we are talking about organizations and change and I'm delighted to have Mark Stringer, lecturer at Birkbeck, University of London with me. Hi Mark, thanks for being here.
1: I think lovely to be here.
0: Right, so Mark, you deliver a series of lectures on organization and change at Birkbeck. So, why are you so passionate about this subject?
1: well that's a very good question um i think for me it is the way in which we can um look at change in different ways because i think there is a propensity and i'm taking this from when i was working back in uh, organizations uh, rather than working in academia is the the sense of what does what is change what does it mean how can we understand um, what, what impact it has, and how can we evaluate it and, and utilize it in, in different ways? And partly this is driven by the fact that um, uh, a lot of the organizational change literature and thinking has been you know, for practical reasons has been built around a very kind of rational strategic way of looking at change. Um, the sense that for organisations need to be able to control change and that's where the roles of management and leadership uh, begin to take hold and there is a huge amount of uh, literature that's been written over the last 70-80 you know, years um, probably nearly near 100 now in terms of how you're going about to, to respond to external, internal, economic, political, social, uh, commercial changes In terms of managing that change and so therefore the rational strategic approach is um, has been very you know in a sense a very good thing for organizational leaders and managers to to hang on to in order to control change now um, my interest lies in taking that and to beginning to break that down and maybe deconstruct that and think about the reality of change because control and um, strategy are all well and good however they represent only one facet of organisational change and what we do on the module and within, within the organisational psychology masters is to give students uh, a sense of the journey from that kind of rational, planned, strategic view via uh, the sense of that's a very kind of macro organisational way of looking at change, through to down to the kind of psychological aspects and the individual and their role in change. So it's for me, it's a, a real sense that how can we understand what strategic planning change can do for us from a practical point of view but also challenge that from a, um, an academic and an intellectual point of view as well so that we move from there <clears throat> to the point where we move from that through OD, through leadership, through uh, discourse and the sense of interpretism to the, the level of being on the edge of chaos which we'll get to right at the end of this uh, session I would hope.
0: <laughs> Thanks Mark. It's, so there's lots of stuff in there that you've just uh, spoken about uh, and I suppose when I'm thinking back to my operational management career and even my my corporate HR career, uh, the words things like Cotter's eight steps and penguins and and stuff like this comes to mind and project management when I think of change, so do you, what do you think the benefits are and what do you think the, the dangers are of looking at that approach? Hmm. Well, yeah, it's, it's funny
1: you should say that about Kotter. I mean, Kotter is um, and those type of ways of thinking of rational change and planned change. Um, empirically, they have very little evidence that they work. But intuitively, managers and leaders, if they're faced with shareholders, stakeholders, um, for for whatever reason that they need to ensure a, a planned and change, planned change is implemented, there is a sense of Well, in a way of trying to manage the anxiety, a way of providing a map, uh, a way of controlling that terrain, which is, you know, arguably those of us all need that at some point. The danger, as you quite rightly point out, then is if you become too beholden to that and you become too um, integrated with that map and that map becomes something which becomes solidified and can't be changed, then we run into trouble because... Um, you know, we are assuming, therefore, that anyone, all the actors within that, are going to be rational. And I think we can all agree that us as human beings are not rational objects all the time. Uh, we also have agency, and that doesn't take that into account. But it also is very silent on the areas of power and resistance. So it's a sense of people will come out of a strategic meeting. Uh, with a document that says that this is what we're going to do, where we are, and where we want to be, and where we will be, etc. etc. And one could argue, as soon as you walk out of that room with that document, it's out of date and it's not, it's, it's already changed. So it's a sense that if we are looking to try and deliver and manage change, we the idea of this kind of pluralism so wanting to understand that having a plan of strategic change is useful in some respects, but it's not the only answer. And that we then have to think about as a change manager or as a leader of, of, of change is to say, well, actually, OK, if we agree that we do need some um, solidity, however, that is not the final answer. We have to then start thinking about, well, OK, how do we communicate change? How do we speak to people about uh, resisting change? And as a side note to that, the fact that resistance itself is not something which Um, needs to be constantly um, quashed or suppressed the idea as all my students will hopefully carry with them the idea that resistance is fertile and that resistance is uh, an energy which even the right hands can be utilized to embed change come up with innovation creativity which we'll get to a little bit later Um, and so it's it's thinking about things I suppose it's that, it's that pluralism It's that ability to be Dealing with and handling ambiguity um, And paradox Which as a field Has grown exponentially in terms Of research and thinking One of my colleagues is um, his, his PhD thesis is looking at paradox For leaders uh, in organisational change Partly I think Because of the way in which The world has changed Dramatically since 2008 the way in which commerce and even the idea of work has, has manifestly changed in the last eight or ten ten years ten eleven years so you know it's for for those involved in change leading change and those experiencing change it's it's not as cozy linear black and white as people like Cotter for example would help us or lead us to believe that it is um, you know it sounds great sells lots of books it makes lots of people feel very comfortable you can come out of a meeting saying great we've got a plan however I would argue that that plan is going to fail if um, yeah that's the only approach that people are aiming or willing or have the wherewithal to take
0: so, so I suppose when you're saying about paradox, you're kind of, um, when I'm thinking about the top of organizations and getting projects signed off financially, they want a plan and yeah. therefore they want structure. Mm. But actually what we're saying is actually for change to happen, the individual needs to have a level of creativity and innovation and space mm. to be able to take account of the change and, and shift yes. from one to yeah, another. Yeah. Yeah. So, so. What do you think organisations need to be thinking about? Because we're we're now talking about, as you say, resistance, where the power lies, etc. And I I know social media is a great provider of, of communication between employees. So resistance probably is more of an issue than it maybe used to be. I mm-hmm. don't know. Um, but but how do you think organisations can can work between the two? Is it? This is great us sitting here talking about a paradox, but what do you think that actually looks
1: like in an organization and what people do people do yeah I I think a lot of it comes down to quite a simple thing in my eyes and I'm taking this both from a practical and uh, an academic point of view is the way in which people treat um, communication for example so you mentioned there about social media Um, and if you take OD, for example, part of the core eth- ethos of OD has always been, well, we need to gather data, we need to allow a, 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 an employee voice, we need to listen. However, I think taking communication at that level is, is good, but it's quite simplistic. Um And in, in what organizations, I think, as a change leader, what would be good to see and I'm sure people out there are doing it but I think what we need to see more of and hear more of is for those people who are kind of leading and managing and planning change is to think about the the way in which discourse and what I mean by that is the discourses within their organisation so to put it simply what uh, it can allow to be said about anything so the kind of the rules the symbols the structure and discourses don't have to be just about you know, the spoken word it can texts it's about websites it's about branding it's about stationery it's about logos you know you can deconstruct that on many many ways but i think it's about the communication ultimately is about the organisation talking to the individual so it's that brokering of that relationship and that relationship can have a really detrimental or a very positive effect on the individuals who are going out and understanding implementing resisting accepting denying change Um, and i think it's that the gulf between the two and i think this is again this is an interesting point where you start to break down the idea well what's the difference between a leader and a manager if we take it in a very kind of rational way that you've got the leaders at the top you've got the managers in the middle and the the workers at the the kind of the bottom of the pile then it's the managers who are having to do that two-way communication they're having to manage Change from to, uh, you know, interpreting it and taking it from above themselves, resisting it the bits they don't want. Then that communication going down into the uh, the, the people who are expected to accept it, deal with it, implement it, whatever. So I think from me, if you take that from a leadership point of view, it's accepting that there is going to be a need to really look at the organisation from a not just a pure kind of numbers driven aspect which you know a lot of organizations are having to do or do do and have to do for very, very many reasons however that again that is not the entire picture and I think understanding the discourse behind numbers themselves and saying well what does this mean what why do we why do we what are these KPIs meaning and how do we understand how they're going to help us make change and where did what what can they tell us rather than saying that it's like well okay what are the ways in which the um, kind of the stories and the the ways in which people have understand and interpret their role in the organisation is an important part. Now, I'm not naive enough to 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 think that you know that approach, which partly is based in an OD approach, is going to be very viable for organisations because of the external volatility of of markets, of the way in the way we have to change or we have to change very quickly you can't say well actually we're going to do a change project it's going to last three years because we want to speak to everybody again that's just not going to, be, going to be going to be possible but I would argue there are ways in which using technology and picking up and speaking to people and getting that information and communicating with people which is where I started this rather long answer can come in is is, is a key part to, to try and to kind of manage that expectation and I don't mean things like appreciative inquiry and just going in because again that's that's a sense of you a know, way of looking at things that are kind of very put you know what do we do well absolutely what do we do but then again that's suppressing the fact that the stuff doesn't work very well so what do we need to do about that and you know that for me is that kind of core piece which leaders get a bit angsty about about asking for real opinion you know, there's this sense that you know when People in the workplace are asked for their opinion. They give it, and then nothing happens. It's like, well, it's because there's probably quite a lot in there that people don't really want to deal with. Quite rightly, some of it's very difficult to deal with. But then, and I haven't even mentioned the C word yet, which is the which is the culture. Which again, yeah, don't 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 ever believe anything that you read about culture being easy to change. You know, even if it is an end step model, it's just that there's just too big a thing to, to actually get involved in. It's there's something you have to work at in piecemeal fashion, you really have to work long and hard. It's not going to be an overnight sensation in terms of changing culture. But culture is riven and constructed by discourse, communication, you know, knowledge, the way in which people do things, the way that we do things around here. That's so, it's a, it's a huge. You know, it's a huge task. You know, and I think there's there is a, a sense that when we, we you know we are talking about this today, and it's, it's such an enormous thing to do. You can begin to see by talking now. You think, well, actually, if I can only get if I can do this in eight steps, then I can get this job done. But then, throw into the last piece before we move to the next question is like, well, is change really ever just a compartmentalised thing which happens here, finishes here? Or is it something which actually constructs what we do that change is just always constant and actually there are might be some periods where it's relatively calm, but really is it just a lived reality that was just there's just it's just reality it's just change is just there, and that's it and it's just yeah, which is when you have to then put your hands up and start thinking <laughs> what's the point, which is I know <laughs> what we talked about at the beginning. <laughs>
0: And that's, and that's really interesting It's um, because I was delivering a leadership program yesterday and one of the delegates um, talked about the fact he's got members of his team that don't have the motivation to want to change or learn, to evolve. And I'm thinking, well, outside of work, if you think 12 years ago, we just introduced the smartphones, nobody went on a formal training course to learn to use a smartphone, yet here we are almost cyborg-like with, <laughs> with our smartphones and yeah. all these employees outside of work have actually moved and shifted and changed their own lives mm. in an incremental bit every single day. But we're obsessed inside of organizations of talking about change as this, this big um, project that has yeah. start, middle and finish. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and I suppose, what, we, what you're saying here, and I love the idea of brokering a relationship and a manager sitting in the middle and having to deal with their own resistance, as well as actually sending the message through the business, is actually, what, what do you think really makes change happen? When you get down to the individual level, mm. what is it that you think actually makes your human behaviour shift, then you could compartmentalise back up to be yeah. cultural change.
1: Yeah, and that's a very good point. And I think that if when you when you come down to that that, that the individual level, on your work, use of the word, their motivation is a, is a key part. it you know from the idea of from a psychological aspect, and the, the intrinsic or extrinsic ways of motivation, and you can then go down the route of the motivation theories in terms of um, you know quality and uh, thinking about sense of fairness the way in which people are rewarded, for example it's extrinsic um but a lot of that time intrinsically is around excuse me being listened to um and the people feeling that they have doing something of worth and there's also a sense that people um we all do i mean and i think this is part of the issue as well is that we tend to look at individuals come who come you know we come to work and we somehow we park all of our emotion knowledge skills history that are not work related in inverted commas and then we become this work identity so it's identity so it's a, it's that sense of well is that really the case and then work you know work workplaces asking people to come to work to bring their entire selves to work and I think, you know, and I say on the course, you know, it's like, well, who would want that? Because I mean, we spend, we spend a lot of our lives suppressing stuff that we don't want people to see and, 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 and do. And if we didn't do, everything would be chaos. So I think it's, it's a real key thing to understand that there are, it's, change is not linear. It's, it's there is we, how we view change. So, how do we look at re- what reality of change is? How do we understand or interpret re- change? That's one part. How that's then communicated and, and, and managed by those in, with the power, which then leads on to the, the next part, which is well, what is power? And is it something which is coercive or is made, you know, or is applied? So, it's looking at the ways in which um, power is, is used, both from, from above but also from a kind of a social control point of view and what control individuals have i mean that's another key part because the change in a lot of ways, means that people's control, their own personal control, gets loosened, gets gets removed. So for those working in jobs and roles which they've been happily doing and know how to do, and it's that kind of unconscious competence, they just don't have to think about it; it's just done. All of a sudden, that gets ruptured, and they are being asked. That is a big issue because that's then providing a cognitive dissonance there's, there's, there's something which has has to change and if that change is not intrinsically motivating or there isn't an extrinsic motivator to it or it's not communicated very well or people feel it's not very really fair the kind of motivation aspects of it are, are quite a key part of it I would say it's understanding what that means and then you've got to multiply that across you know if you've got thousands of people in an organization that's that's a big big task but then you have to ask the question well you're not going to do it on a big scale because that's not going to you know how do you do that and do you then bring in the ideas of communities of practice and saying to people well you know we kind of we will hand out some leaders will hand out the kind of the their the control and management of these tasks delegate it almost but then again yeah. the leaders want to do that because that's losing control so we come back to the right at the beginning Say, well how comfortable are leaders in losing control um, uh, which leads to in some minds if you don't have a plan it's going to be chaos but then we could argue that chaos is a really good way of allowing this kind of paradox between control and creativity and innovation to actually happen but that requires a maturity and a level of faith and trust which, you know, if you then look at the employment models, so, you know, the way in which people are employed, if they're not truly employees and they are on zero hours contracts or it's a gig economy, etc., cetera, et cetera, then that on one hand is from a resource point of view for an organization is great because you don't have to worry about the headcount and deal with things a flexible workforce but at the same time you can't then expect the same degree of engagement and motivation and the kind of sense of of what what that means for change for those individuals because ultimately they can just go I don't want to do anymore but can they that's the question because they need the work so it's a bigger it then floods back out into kind of the wider aspects of the work
0: and that's a, that's a very interesting point isn't it because the contingent workforce and 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 moving to that position of an organisation means you can flex yourself financially quite easily mm-hmm. but then actually what, what we're implying here is that you're less likely to have real change happen because there's less likely to be the same level of motivation and engagement from mm-hmm. a contingent workforce except for more of a I need the money point of view, Mm. which kind of goes against the hearts and minds of getting people to come on change with you. (laughs) So actually by trying to pull a lever here saying that we want a more flexible financial model for our workforce, you're actually closing down a lever over here, which is actually your change is probably less likely to happen because of the the paradox between top-down control and actually individuals accepting change themselves. Mm. Yeah,
1: and so it's so you, you enter into a whole different kind of paradigm of what what that organi- what organizing looks like rather than organization. It's about well, what what do we mean by organizing? And that's that's you know the structural design of organizations. That's when that comes in, and then you ask the question: Well, is that really changed? Because if you build if you're building a, a, an organization in a way of working in that that sense, then there's no real core structural foundation. So it's constantly in a state of flux. Um, and if it's having to respond to uh, you know, market forces, market demands, which are the institutional chains are having to respond—excuse me—to that is, you know, it's, that's 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 a very, you know, in a way, that's the, again another paradox. Because as you say, it's, it's one wanting that flexibility, but at the same time, thinking that you can control that flexibility um, with the people that are doing the work for you, who are. maybe have two or three different jobs for example or working part time so all the kind of differing work models and and set of organising has an impact on organisational change and for those people doing that how do they view change because if they're having to change their roles and jobs three times a week in different you know, to them change is a whole different thing from a planned we're going to be moving to you know do something different in three months it's like well I might not even be here in three months and but in the same week I'm doing the same thing or a different thing with another organisation you know mm. if, even if you're working part time with two jobs so I think it's the way in which uh, I think this comes from this sense of having it comes you know it's that sense of, of wanting control and it's a human endeavour and it's a very rational scientific way of looking at the world the kind of empirical way of we are and we can see even the climate crisis it's that you know we we believe we can control everything as humans and it's a sign of strength that we can, and there are lots of signs now. The saying well, actually, that's that's irrational. We can't, and we need to think about doing things in in different ways. And that, which brings me back to the your first point. The question is like, well, what can we do about it? And I, I really do firmly believe it's t- we have to loosen the grip of rationality in that to allow us, in terms of organizational change, to really think about. And to be comfortable with ambiguity, chaos, um, and the, on kind of the edge of chaos and paradox. Because none of this is going to go away. And the ways in which what work means, how it's delivered now, uh, and Lord knows what's going to happen once we leave Europe, for example, just in Europe. But let's, again that's another key thing a lot of this is westernized thought on what a changes podcast <laughs> yeah absolutely and we are looking at this from a very westernized point of view mm. so we have to think about that and it's that kind of empiricism that kind of uh, the idea of the project of modernity which says it's all about progress but then you have the question progressing to what to who mm. to when because then that's the sense of all this changes leading to something so that kind of teleological we are end, what's this end point Um, Which brings us back to the, you know, what is the point?
0: (laughs) That's interesting. And I I, I have to say, uh, uh, the the podcast is almost at an end, very much almost at an end. It's it's great to finish with the question, what is the point? (laughs) So So if you're listening to this, um, um, please don't leave with just thinking, what is the point to this podcast? Um, But for me, what I'm taking from this is... Whereas I used to probably think as, a, as an operational manager that, that rational change was probably 80 90% of what change was, now I'm seeing it's probably one facet of about 10 or more things that I need to be considering mm. with paradoxes right in the middle of that between top-down, bottom-up and all the mm. different tensions. So that's really interesting. If you've got one thing that you could leave the listeners with, after that great um, conversation we've just had, what would that be? Well, I think in in work in work based, from
1: work based point of view, I would say that if you are able to find a space, that third space between the rational and the other end of the spectrum, like kind of the, the the edge of chaos, is that and be comfortable with that paradox, that you, to utilise that as a fuel. That kind of the constant tension between the two because that is accepting that I think that will begin to provide a different view and a different kind of energy to allow both an understanding and a delivery and also an acceptance of failure which is always going to happen and I think that's another sense of of, of, of what pract- you know, practically people can do there's always going to be a failure and accepting that up front is a I think is a quite a subtle and a cognitively useful thing to do
0: that's really interesting thank you very much well thank you for being here today and thanks everyone for listening that's about it for now you can find out more about things like engagement change and productivity at our website at tapsolutions.com we'll be back soon with another tap talks hr podcast but bye for now